This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong, and I have the pleasure, as always, of being here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson with Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm wonderful. Sam, everything good on your end? Doing good. Excellent. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Hey, we're Mm -hmm. starting off the program on a great foot. And uh, to continue it on an even better foot, we've brought in a great friend of the program, and that is Rich Gwaltney. He is the Community Engagement Representative for Transitions Life Care. Rich, great to have you back on the program. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me again. You know, a lot of our listeners have heard your voice before. Mm -hmm. You've been on the radio. You're a popular guest, but maybe for those who don't know, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a part of this conversation? Yeah, that'd be great. Well, I uh, serve as the community engagement representative uh, for Transitions Life Care. Been serving in this capacity for going on eight and a half years. Woo. I love to tell people, and yeah, I know it's uh, time flies, and uh, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, you know, my background was in a very wide field: education, ministry, spiritual care. We were overseas in Malaysia for five years, landed here, and walked in the front doors at Transitions Life Care, which was back then uh, when I started was known as Hospice of Wake County Mm -hmm. and uh, when I walked in the front door I just wrapped my head heart and hands around the message and just tried to create uh, just unique ways to change the conversations in the community about what end-of-life care is and all the conversations that surround that and about the things that truly matter the most in life so yes I've kind of got thrust into that and just finding really my place and telling our organization's story but uh, just have been uh, really on an eight-and-a-half-year wild ride and journey to, uh, to engage people in about an eight-county area about these issues, and it's just been just been very exciting uh, time. Rich is definitely our uh, Transitions Renaissance man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. So, Rich, uh, we wanted to talk today with you about, uh, for those who don't know, there was a recent national holiday uh, on April 16th. So can you talk to us a little bit about uh, National Healthcare Decisions Day and what that is? I sure can, Sam. You know, April 16th was designated as National Healthcare Decisions Day, and as we all know and have heard throughout our lifetimes, there are two things in this world that are certain, and that is death and taxes. So uh, <laughs> someone in the, uh, <laughs> in the brain trust of ideas said, well, why don't we set aside a day after tax day each year to, um, to talk about death, dying mm-hmm. into care, life wishes, things that are priorities and things that matter to us. And I think designating that day, um, again, as a pinpoint in the calendar for us to, to market to, really it actually expanded from a day for us as an organization, really more to about a week, you know, mm-hmm. just intense conversations and engagement in the community and also internally with our own teams uh, to have these much needed conversations, to break out these documents and to start talking about, you know, our priorities and our wishes uh, for our healthcare in those circumstances where we're no longer able to make those decisions for ourselves. So 
But yes, it's been a, uh, a great conversation to have, and that's, uh, that's been going on for some time now. Mm-hmm. You had to remind me it's tax day coming. <laughs> why? 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 Uh, can, t- can you talk to us a little bit about the Five Wishes document? You know, some people see these blue folders floating around or, you know, have seen it online. Mm-hmm. Or um, what are these Five Wishes documents that people are talking about, and um, what makes them unique? That's a great question, Mary. You know, we love this document, The Five Wishes. And I always like to start, whether it's in a presentation or a conversation like this, is just to help people know, one, we're not trying to put you into a new document. Um, I always tell people, you know, the best, uh, the best document you have for an advanced care directive is the one you currently have, meaning uh, you don't have to change and switch to this one if you just did one. But why we like The Five Wishes document, uh, the most concise way to tell is that it's referred to uh, both by Five Wishes organization and something we've been really out there telling the story about. It's referred to as the heart and soul of the living will. And by that, what we mean is that there are factors in these, especially the fourth and fifth wish in this document, which we can unpack a little bit of today. There are matters of deep importance that don't always make their way into your traditional living will, health care power of attorney. Uh, those are matters of importance with family members, uh, things that you want your loved ones to know, ways that you want to be treated. And, you know, coming from my background, as I shared earlier, you know, I've been used to having conversations in different contexts and cultures about issues that matter the most to people. But it's that fifth wish, Mary, that makes this document so unique. And that is the thing I like to start on sometimes more than the first four wishes is, you know, what is it you want your loved ones to know? Because if there's anything we've learned uh, really camped around this threshold of end-of-life care is that there are matters of deep importance that we need to communicate to our loved ones, people in our lives who we need to forgive, some people we need to ask forgiveness from. Those are closure activities mm-hmm. uh, that we need to take care of. Others is, you know, are there people in our lives we want to thank and show gratitude to, but also who in our lives could use a, an expression of love from us. So as we start with that fifth wish of what we want our loved ones to know, that heart work is the hardest work. And if we'll do that homework on the front end, it makes conversations about, our living will, health care power of attorney, some of the legal and the medical. It makes those, it paves the way and cultivates just a real safe place for people to have conversations about these most important issues. Mm-hmm. It sounds like more of like a conversational document. Mm-hmm. It gets the conversation started between you and your family and your loved ones to be able to talk openly about these wishes. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely, Mary, because I, I mean, I believe uh, it's not a it's not a one time process. Right. Mm-hmm. I often encourage people just encourage folks that, you know, you and your family are going to best know how to navigate different relationships and pitfalls to avoid who's ready to have this conversation, who wants nothing at all to do with it at this point. And how do you create conversation uh, spaces in those relationships where you normalize some of this. And I think that's what Five Wishes really does well is that it creates that that context. And, you know, it's also important to underscore here, too, is that while not part of a traditional living will, it's also not something that if you were to pick up a copy of Five Wishes today, Mary, 
we're not saying that you have to write out all your family's uh, dirty laundry <laughs> who, who hurt you and who you hurt. The idea is you don't have to write that out, get that notarized. Even the gratitude, the love, the life stories and the legacy you want to leave, it's really as a prompt to say, um, make sure you're communicating those issues that matter most. And, uh, and again, starting with that, it really starts to cultivate a longer-term path of making that conversation happen a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Rich, you talked briefly about uh, the fifth wish. Can you talk to us a little bit more for those who may not be aware what each of the five wishes are in this document? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in short order, I'll just list them, and then we can unpack them as you feel like we need to do that. You know, the first wish is the uh, is the traditional living will, and I tell people best way to look at that is that answers the who uh, I'm sorry the who question uh, is the first wish is actually the health care power of attorney forgive me uh, health care power of attorney answers the who question who do you want to speak for you if you suddenly become unable to speak for yourself concerning your health care and, and that you're going to receive um, the second wish is the traditional living will that answers the what question what is your philosophy of care what is it that you either want done or do not want done? And uh, the third one is where we come in, uh, mm-hmm. transitions life care. When it comes to hospice and palliative care, how comfortable do you want to be? Uh, you know, actually, interestingly enough, Sam and I were in this conversation last week we with group in the community, and we talked about this. And I like to tell people when it comes to comfort measures, you know, some of my background I just shared with you, while I came from uh, kind of education, nonprofit kind of field, education and ministry and, and community outreach, I tell people coming in the door, now, while I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, I'm also not the butter knife either. <laughs> so I recognized when I came in, I needed to understand what words meant. And this word palliative, uh, as far as palliative care, kept coming up. And when I heard the definition of what palliative care were, means uh, the word palliative comes from a latin word pallium and it means to cloak and the picture that comes with that is that imagine on a cold winter's day someone were to take your grandmother's handmade quilt or comforter and were to wrap it and cloak you with it around your shoulders well that's what palliative care does it cloaks a person with comfort and care pain and symptom management and not necessarily curative in nature Now, the reason I take this moment today in this radio show for us to talk about that is there are a lot of what I call myth, you heard me, M-Y-T-H, myth understandings (laughs) of what hospice is and is not. So when someone gets to the end of life, and let's say you're unable to speak for yourself, you need to make sure your family knows your philosophy and understanding of what hospice and palliative care is. So that way they don't feel like they have to make that hard decision for you. And then lastly, Sam, just to wrap up the first four wishes, the fourth one is how, um, wh- how do you want to be treated? How would you like your family member uh, to treat you um, at, toward the end of your life? And that kind of normalizes people's behavior and, uh, and just gives them permission to come into your room. Do you want people to pray over you, to sing, to read to you? Do you want pictures of your loved ones? And, and I literally heard a lady say once she wanted Elvis Presley playing in her room. <laughs> so, you know, whatever it is that brings you the greatest amount of comfort, gives your loved ones of all ages permission to say, hey, it's okay. If I'm unable to speak and I'm in this room, please come in, mm-hmm. hold my hand, talk to me, uh, care for me still. I'm still there and I'm still 
that special person in your life. So that's kind of the four of the five wishes Mm -hmm. in a very short synopsis. Well, Rich, we've got some more questions for you. This is Rich Gwaltney that we're speaking with, Community Engagement Representative for Transitions Life Care. He's not the butter knife of Transitions Life Care. He's more of the J.A. Hankel's knife of Transitions Life Care. And we're going to continue unpacking the Five Wishes document right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Don't forget you can always find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. And we have one of our own with us. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. On the line is Rich Gwaltney. He is the Community Engagement Representative for Transitions Life Care, and we are continuing our conversation all on the Five Wishes document. We are. So, Rich, we just talked about each of the five wishes, and you kind of went over each of those for us. So we want to get into a little bit more of the logistics of the five wishes document. So let's start out. Why should you fill out an advanced directive like five wishes? Well, that's a great question. And I think, again, coming back to a little bit of the heart and soul piece is, um, you know, these conversations with the people who matter the most in your life, concerning the issues that matter the most in life. Are these impor- are the important discussions we need to have? Uh, our hope, and while we would challenge you to, 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 uh, to create an advanced directive, communicate that to your loved ones, is we want to empower you to be able to exert really the most amount of influence over your health care, uh, especially if there hits that tipping point where for any season of time or moment, you're unable to speak for yourself so that you can live according to your priorities longer, what's important Mm -hmm. to you. And that way, and again, we have, in years past, we used to refer to this conversation we're having today as the uncomfortable gift. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's a difficult conversation for some people to have, but so important because the people that we've come across in our experience who uh, had advanced directives in place we're so glad that they had them and communicated it because it reduced the burden on them that they put on their loved ones to make decisions for them. And if you were to ask people who did not have them, 10 times out of 10, healthcare professionals or not, when you're faced with a decision of a, of a type of medical care, of, let's say removing a loved one from a particular extraordinary you know, a measure mm-hmm. uh, to keep someone alive, And that decision you made without knowing their wishes eventually led to them passing from this life to the next. Who do you think really bears the burden there and feeling that they made a decision to end your life, that ended your life? And so the whole idea of why you want to do this is to, one, reduce the burden that we place on other people to speak on our behalf, two, to exert the most amount of influence on your health care, and to live according to your priorities longer. 
You know, there's a shifting definition of who is a caregiver, and I hate the word millennials, but there's a lot more millennials these days taking care of loved ones and, you know, helping their parents plan and even planning for their own future when they think about all sorts of things like retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, Sam, we, yes. we talked about retirement not that long ago, and I'm trying to early retire, Rich, so um, we've <laughs> yeah. got to plan these things now. Um, is there is it ever too early to think about five wishes and, and putting these documents into place, or when is the best time to start filling these out? That's a great question, Mary. And uh, it's, I don't think it's never, it's never too early. If you are 18 years old, uh, you know, when you think about when you went to college, uh, is that mm. as soon as uh, a, a young person goes to college, uh, you know, a parent and guardian, technically, because of FERPA, which we put side by side with HIPAA when it mm-hmm. comes to medical records and then, uh, and then educational records, an 18-year-old is completely responsible for their care, even if the parents are, uh, are taking care of or footing the bill for education or not. Uh, well, it's the same with their health care. So you are in the driver's seat as an 18-year-old. So whether you're going in for an appendectomy or you're going under for a surgery or something were, were to happen and you were in an accident and you are in a coma, uh, yeah, you want to make sure your priorities are in place. And those priorities may shift in life. You know, they may change from when you're 18 uh, to when you're 88. And <laughs> when that happens, according whether it's a diagnosis or a stage of life or circumstance, you know, our wishes for our health care may change when those uh, when those changes in our health care status, our health status changes. So I would say earlier the better, but obviously there's a, a greater sense of urgency the older we get. And sometimes it comes after a crisis or circumstance. We see it happen to a loved one or to a friend or someone in the media, and we're like, wow, I don't want that to happen to me if I can't speak for myself. So mm-hmm. that's, those are important little catalysts that happen in our lives. Yeah. So let's say, Rich, I'm 30 now. Uh, if I wanted to fill one out now, what would happen if, say, 10, 15 years down the road or even next month if I changed my mind on one of my wishes? Yeah, these documents are great, Sam. And by the way, you don't look a day over 29. <laughs> You're so years. kind, and, Rich. Uh, <laughs> 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 Let me just say this. What's great about these documents, we always tell people at the end of these conversations um, that um, if they have an advanced directive in place, uh, is to do two things, give and keep, uh, give copies to your loved ones, your, you know, your healthcare providers, people who will be most affected by them, um, and keep a copy of who you gave them to, because if there's a change that you want to make, you need to pull that list back out, (laughs) retrieve all those copies that become obsolete, uh, and then create a new document simply have that notarized, copied, and then sent back out. You know, we tell people, um, we tell people every time you get a D uh, <laughs> that, you should, uh, that you should look at these. Well, what does that mean? Well, has it been a decade since you've done the documents? Uh, has there been a divorce, a death in the family, a change in diagnosis, or a decline in your health status? You know, those are just little gimmicky things to think about. But I have a colleague in the community. I heard her challenge at group once. You know, every time there's an election cycle or every time that, you know, you know, every two years or every four years, whatever it is, that's a reminder that says maybe it's time for me to pull those documents back out and take a look at them. So in conversations like today, Sam, I tell our listeners and I would say this to us in this room is that um, there's always something for us to do. So if you have documents in place, 
my question to most people would be, how well have you communicated those wishes to the people who are going to be most affected by them? So maybe you have homework to do to go out and have those conversations. And that includes those, you know, not leaving anything unfinished, said, or done on that fifth wish of gratitude, love, forgiveness. Maybe uh, maybe it's time you pulled one back out, though. And now let's look at it. It's been a few years. Maybe there's been a change. Maybe someone who was going to speak for me, my health care power of attorney, maybe they passed on, or maybe they're not really that close. Uh, who is that? So I need to make that change. So maybe it's time to look at one and then maybe redo those and make those changes. So there's always something for us to do, um, you know, in this conversation about advanced care directives. Mm -hmm. You mentioned having it notarized. When you have it, you've signed these documents, you've had them notarized. Does that make them a legal document and something that's enforceable? Yes, it's it's definitely a, a legal document, but it's one of those legal documents when I say my experience, in the conversations that I've been in over the years, I've heard stories on both sides that, you one, we all need to self-advocate for our own wishes. Uh, if we have a document, we need to make sure we're communicating what's written in there. We need to have that conversation, especially with the WHO, the healthcare power of attorney, the person who's going to speak for us. We need to make sure other people affected by it know who's going to speak for you, what those wishes are, where they are. And if, the, if you have someone in your family who doesn't want to talk about this, make sure they know at least what's in the document mm-hmm. or where it can be found. But as far as the legality of documents, absolutely. Um, the, the essential part, though, is to make sure when you go in for health care, whether it's emergency room or you're admitted to the hospital or you're living in an assisted living facility or retirement community, that the people who are caring for you know that you do have a living will or an advanced directive in place and then make sure that it's up to date, uh, notarized, copied, and given to the people who will be most likely geographically and practically there Mm -hmm. to care for you according to your priorities. Yeah. So, Rich, to kind of cap off our talk today, what would you encourage people listening today to do right now concerning their advanced directives? Well, really, what we just said, Sam, uh, is is if you if you don't have a document, what I would say and you haven't had an advanced directive, I would say um, go to fivewishes.org. That's a simple website. Go to the store tab and you'll notice that. Uh, that there are both electronic and paper copies that you can purchase and they're, they're, you can fill them out, you can print them and fill them out uh, and take a look and just familiarize yourself with what's in the document. Uh, if, if you're local and you're in the, the area that we serve in the Greater Raleigh and the Triangle area, we'd love to help make some of those available to you as well. You can reach out to us. Uh, we've already given you the website at transitionslifecare.org. Uh, you can call uh, or you can actually email uh, a special ad, uh, email address. It's connect at transitionslifecare.org. Connect at transitionslifecare.org. Reach out to me, and we can make these documents available for you if you need them. So whether you want to do it yourself through the website or you'd like us to provide a copy, we'd love to help get that conversation going. Uh, But I will tell you this, if you don't have a copy or you haven't done an advanced directive, we believe the decision about who's going to speak for you 
is almost as important as mm-hmm. what you want done. So maybe this week even is why not sit down with the person that you think you'd like to have make these decisions. Just have coffee, virtual or in person, and just say, hey, I've been challenged to think about this, about my advanced care directive, you know, and just start the conversation with them. Have you ever thought about doing this? Do you know about these? Would you be willing to be (laughs) that person for me? And then start that process of filling that document out. As we mentioned earlier, the Five Wishes document is very user-friendly. It's very simple to understand. You don't have to have a medical or a legal uh, degree to, to be able to, uh, to understand them. But, um, but just simply familiarize yourself with it. Go through it the best you can and fill them out and have them notarized. But then, most importantly, have those conversations with the people in your life who are going to be most affected by what you wrote down. Because it's just so important for us to realize that the, the things that matter the life matter the most in life are not things. They're people. They're the relationships with the people we love and the people closest to us. So I would say conversation, but also action uh, on these documents. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We'll take some personal time as well to, to, uh, to help you and assist you in these. And very lastly, I would say, say this is this conversation that we're having today in conversation or interview form we actually have a menu of presentations and conversations we'd love to bring to your faith community, to your support group, to your caregiver support group. So if that's something of interest, you can also email us at that connect at transitionslifecare.org, and we'll talk about a way we can come and share this uh, as well as some other topics with you um, with your group either virtually or in person. So. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Rich. And uh, I, I hope that plenty of people reach out to you because uh, you're excellent at what you do. That email address, again, that Rich gave out, connect at transitionslifecare.org, connect at transitionslifecare.org, or you can always look up contact information at transitionslifecare.org. He is Rich Gwaltney. He is Transitions Life Care Community Engagement Representative, and you can see why, because he does a wonderful job. We have to take a quick break, but we will be right back. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson and we are shifting focus here, and we're going to get into a conversation that uh, has affected many people and has become more and more of an important question uh, due to the impact of COVID-19, and that is the question of pursuing home health care versus home care. And those may sound very similar, but they are two very different things. And to help us explore this topic, we are very excited to speak with Nancy Foss. She is a community service representative with Home Instead. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here. I'm really excited to hit this topic mm-hmm. today because I think it's something that, especially lately, has been coming up a lot. I've noticed while I'm out in the community talking with families, um, increasingly due to the climate with COVID, a lot of people are choosing to stay home. Uh, they want to avoid hospitals or physicians' offices. Uh, so the topic of home health and home care has come up a lot, and I've been getting a lot of questions. I know there's a lot of confusion around what it is and what's covered. So, Nancy, let's start with the basics. What are the main differences in services between home health and home care? Sure. And that is that is the goal is everybody wants to stay home and, mm-hmm. and they do need services. And I think most people know what home health is, but might not understand the differences between home care and home health. And they are very complementary, but they are different in how we achieve the goals of helping them age in place and stay in place with better outcomes. Um, Home care usually can take over where home health care benefit ends. So home health um, is only used for a short period of time, but they may need continued support, and that's where home care comes in. Home health is, um, it can be provided in a variety of settings, but it's intended for individuals with skilled needs, which requires a higher level of care. Mm-hmm. And that usually, that will always come from a doctor's order. So somebody will not necessarily say, hey, I think I want home health care. It will be, it will be ordered by their physician. And the pr- services that home health provides are things like skilled nursing services, which is something um, hands-on like wound care, observation, um, tube feedings, catheter changes. They also offer skilled therapy services, physical therapy, um, speech, OT, uh, those kind of things. And they also offer medical social services if required and medical supplies. Um, Certain supplies might be paid for by home health, and that would be like wound dressings, catheters, or durable medical equipment like walkers and and wheelchairs Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Where home care is a little different, home care is personalized care, um, but that's something that it's more flexible in types of services it provides. And it's usually um, provided wherever the individual calls home, and that can be uh, in their actual home or if they're in a community. And it's commonly charged by an hourly rate with minimum hours. And we can, and home care can provide uh, 24-7 care. Usually it's, 20, it's a few hours a week all the way up to 24-7. And their types of services is personal care, which could include bathing, grooming, anything hands-on, medication management, transitional care, meal preparation, light housekeeping, uh, transportation. And what's also really important is Alzheimer's and other dementia care and companionship. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the basic differences mm-hmm. of the two. So you talked about this a little bit, but I want to touch on it a little bit deeper. Um, you, you know, my, my grandfather, for example, has been on home health, and it's for wounds and a variety of other things. Um, but we actually brought in home care to help with additional needs and just provide that extra layer of support. So can you talk to us right. a little bit on how you can combine the two and have both of them at once? And what does that look like in the benefits to the patient to having both of them in the home at the same time? Sure. Actually, home health and home care, they're going to work together. They're going to review the discharge plan, so both will do that. Um, They're both going to design a personal care plan, and both will implement them. So the goal, again, is to avoid readmission to the hospitals or rehabs and to improve that quality of life. And so what will happen is I know um, our caregivers, they work a lot 
with the OTPT and the nurses that are in there, and they will follow the same plan of care. And so when home health comes in, they are there for a certain period of time to get their job done. They'll, they'll be there you know, to, to dress the wound, do the paperwork, and then they leave. And then our caregivers, or a, a home care agency, their caregivers will take over and then be able to stay and implement the same plan of care and then add additional things like meal prep and you know helping just helping that person with all their daily activity of livings that happen after the home health team leaves. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit to us about what services are included in home care? I know you mentioned some, um, but I do get a lot of questions from families where I think there's some confusion about what home care is and what it is not. Sure. Yeah, so it is not medical. So we're not there to dress wounds mm-hmm. and to do that kind of stuff that home health can take care of. We are there, it can be anything from companionship, which is just, mm. you know, hanging with the, the person and kind of just being being that extra, well, especially during COVID, isolation Yes. in, in seniors has been really horrendous. And so we know the effects of isolation on us, on anybody, but especially on our seniors. So that's a big part of, of what home care does is just engagement. So there's the engagement part. But then there's also the practical of helping get what they need done all throughout the day. And that could be whether they're homebound or they go out. And so we can do transportation as well as the meal prep and um, um, medication reminders, you know, just being there for their safety. That's that's a big, big part of it is being there to make sure that the senior is or the older adult is safe in whatever activities they're doing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So you, you just touched on this, but um, I want to talk a little bit about COVID. It's on everyone's mind. And as we're trying to stay home and more mm-hmm. people have tried to stay home during this pandemic, what changes have you seen in the industry and how has it affected the impact? What is the impact on like the level of care that you're seeing? Are people wanting more companionship for their loved ones when they haven't been able to go in and visit as much? Or what impacts has COVID had on your your um, your offering? Sure. Well, obviously, we have had a, an increased number of calls of people saying, hey, we don't want our loved one to go home from rehab or the hospital mm-hmm. into a community. We want them going back home, but we can't be there all the time. And, and that's a lot of what we do is families take care, do a lot of the caregiving, but we can come in and we fill in the gaps or we do respite. And so, hey, we want somebody there with, with our loved one. Um, and we want it to be a safe environment. And so our caregivers follow all the CDC protocol um, as far as, you know, going in and, and taking care of that part of it. Um, but, yeah, we've seen an increase. People just want to be home because they also want to have family members be able to come visit them. And sometimes in the communities they cannot do that. That's Actually, that's getting better. Hopefully, you know, with vaccinations, everything's going to open up again. But for right now, home care is definitely an option that people are seeking. We're speaking with Nancy Foss. She is the community service representative with Home Instead, and we're exploring the differences between home health and home care. And we will continue our conversation with Nancy right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Don't forget, you can always find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong, and here as always with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, our guest on the line is Nancy Foss. And Nancy is a community service representative with Home Instead, and we are unpacking the differences between home health and home care. And ladies, uh, before the break, we were really diving into COVID-19 and how mm-hmm. that's changed things. And, you know, this has become uh, more and more of a bigger question for folks. Absolutely. It has, definitely. Um, we were talking a little bit about how there's been a lot more requests for companionship for folks mm-hmm. within home care, um, just because people are so isolated. Mm-hmm. So kind of building off of that, I wanted to ask a little bit, um, with home health and home care services, are the same nurses or caregivers assigned to you so folks can kind of build that relationship? Well, there are a lot of different home health agencies out mm-hmm. there. And so we deal with, depending on what our client, who our client has had, you know, has what company they have. And so we don't necessarily always see the same nurses mm-hmm. out there. Um, but if we're working alongside the same company, then yes, a lot of times we will run into the same nurses or clinicians or, you know, therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, but each one can be, it, it can be different. But our caregivers, we try to, you know, limit the number of caregivers with a particular client. So that person will meet whoever is in the home yeah, that's alongside great. them. That's great, because I know building some of those relationships are so important. Um, so mm-hmm. are any of your caregivers qualified nurses? Or CNAs? So we have we have nurses on staff, but they their job is quality assurance visits. Mm-hmm. They'll go out and do the the initial plan of care um, on on our clients who have uh, personal care needs, and then they'll do quality assurance visits. Um, as far as the caregivers that go in, we have some CNAs for our higher level, mm-hmm. you know, of need clients, and then we also have PCAs. Wonderful. So they're, they're not required to be CNAs, mm-hmm. but. Um, we do have some on staff. Great, good to know. There are a lot of agencies mm-hmm. out there, and there's a lot of confusion between, you know, the home care, like we've been talking about, and home health. But how do you go about finding a home care agency that is right for you? What kind of questions should you ask when mm-hmm. looking and some things that you should be looking for sure. when picking an agency? Absolutely. Well, you want to find out um, what kind of training their caregivers have. Um, I'm surprised that not, like, because we're working with the senior adults, um, there's a lot of dementia and, and Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. and so it's really important that the caregivers are, are trained to how to, you know, work with somebody that has Alzheimer's or another dementia. That's an important question. So are they trained, and even are they trained in personal care so that they know how to, you know, transfer safely um, and do those kind of hands-on things, give, um, engage in giving a bath and stuff. Um, are they, what kind of communication happens between the agency and the family. Um, we, when we, we have somebody joins us, they have a care coordinator that's with them throughout their entire time with us who is a liaison between the family and home instead. 
um, are they licensed? Are they bonded? You know, mm-hmm. those kind of things are really important. Yeah, definitely important things to ask when you're out there seeking for any type of home care agency. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the financial aspect of, of both of those. So we know that home health is medical care. So it's covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or whatever your private insurance is. So what covers home care? Uh, is it home care a part of a long-term care plans, or are they just strictly private pay? Um, now, probably each company is going to be different what they accept. Um, I know for us, we accept long-term care, mm-hmm. and I think a lot. I think most companies would, as and also VA benefits. Mm. Um, also, um, the 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 client has to qualify on their end for mm-hmm. the VA benefits, but then we can mm-hmm. accept that. And then it's private pay. Other than that, long-term care, private pay, or VA. Wonderful. And you, and you mentioned this briefly, but so it's by the hour and there's a minimum hour. Is yes. the hours uh, at like a minimum per week or month or how does that work? And how yeah. do you go about deciding how many hours you really need? Mm-hmm. Like what, what kind of goes into the calculation of that? Sure. sure. So again, I can't speak for every home care agency. I know what our minimums are. So, but every company is going to have some kind of minimum because this, this helps with our caregivers being able to go in and actually be effective. You know, if they're just going in for an hour a day, um, that's a lot to ask a caregiver to travel mm-hmm. and, and yeah. just stay for one hour. So we do have a four-hour per shift minimum and a 16 for the week. That's, that's home instead's, um, per, you know, minimums. Um, and... What was your other question? I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. Um, kind of how do you evaluate how many hours someone oh, would need? Right. Sure. What happens when somebody calls and says, help, I need help? A lot of times they don't understand. They don't right. have a clue what they need. For sure. Um, they're just, they're in, a lot of times they're in panic mode. Hey, we just got this diagnosis or my mom or dad just it was in the hospital. They're coming home. We don't know what we need. So our care coordinators will go out and just meet one-on-one for a free consultation and they'll kind of go through hey this is this is what tell me what you need and they're really great at being able to assess this, this, the situation and say hey you know what I think if we had this many hours a day our caregiver can do this this and this so each situation is going to be different but that's the beauty of our our you know our care consult is that they sit down and they find out what the need is and then they determine how many hours a week they need and everyone's going to be different. Mm-hmm. Some people really just need very minimal, and others need 24-7. Um, and we can offer anything in between that. Awesome. So it's, uh, each situation's going to be different, but they're going to sit down and find out what kind of, what level of care do we need? You know, what, how much involvement is the family? You know, sometimes family members will fill in a bulk of the care, mm-hmm. but then they need a break, they need some respite. So they'll call in a home care agency and, and fill in. Other times, families are not able to because of work schedules or, mm-hmm. or location. They're not in, in the same town, and so there's more need there. Say somebody is, is taking care of someone who's out of town. So we've signed up for these hours as a, for home care, and we have someone coming in town who's going to come and live with the family member and take care of them. Can you put it on pause and come back, or do you have to – you know, register for the same amount of hours every week and it kind of goes to waste? Or how does that work if you have someone that can come and take care of them for a little bit of time and and is also leaving and you'll need to resume care um, in the following weeks? Right. Absolutely. Great question. Uh, No, so we don't have contracts. We have a service agreement. And so there's no like, oh my gosh, you have, you know, you have to 
whether you have care or not, you have to pay. So if you want to put it on pause, you just give us a notice and say, hey, I have family members coming in for a day, for two days, for a month. Um, we're going to hold off on care right now, and so we'll put you on pause, and then we'll just resume when, whenever the need arises again. At, you know, as long as it, just give us a little notice, just so we can, you know, let our caregivers know that hey, you will not be needed, and and then we're good to go. That's good to know that that flexibility is there. And so, yes. kind of yes. our last question for today: How do you uh-huh. sign up for home care versus home health if someone's interested in either of these services? Sure. Um, like I said before, home health is is generally um, started from the physician's side. Mm-hmm. So they go, they're in the hospital, they're, they go to the hospital, they have a fall, whatever the situation that requires the home health, the doctor is going to request that order. Um, so p- people don't necessarily say, hey, I want home health. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they do, then I guess they would have to call their doctor because it does have to come through a physician right. um, order. Home care, they just can do a Google search or they can call home instead, and um, then we can take it from there. Awesome. Very good. And Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Is homeinstead.com a, a wonderful way for folks to find more information? Yes, homeinstead.com, and they can even put in the slash 226 and go right directly to our website, or if they just put homeinstead.com, they can you know, put in their information and it'll take, take them to us. Wonderful. Nancy Foss, she is the Community Service Representative with Home Instead. Again, we thank you so much for your time, and we really appreciate it today. Well, thank you for having me. It was, it was a great time. And have a great day. You You too too. as well, Nancy. We are just about out of time. we got to get out of here. We hope you will join us again next weekend, next Saturday at 4 for Aging Matters. And uh, on behalf of Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, I am Jason Kong. Again, thank you so much. Don't forget WPTF.com. If you want to find more podcasts of Aging Matters, just click on the podcast button and there you'll find the Aging Matters section. You can re-listen to this episode as well as all the other episodes of Aging Matters. We hope you'll, again, you'll join us again next Saturday at four. This has been Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org. 